spin in your word. And we pray that you would break it for us, that we might understand it, that we might be able to apply it to our lives and it might lead to a changed life. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for everyone in here that we will leave here different than we came because we've heard your word, we've listened to it, and we have obeyed it. For we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of the book. And I think this might be a good time to kind of give a brief summary, a quick summary of what we've seen in this marvelous book we call the book of Hebrews. You know, Hebrews is all about exalting Jesus. In fact, that's been our thing. It's it's about exalting Jesus. It's, It's about lifting up the name of Jesus. It's about worshiping him because he is the sovereign God in control of everything. He is the final word of God in these last days. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. He is the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and earth. Chapter 1, verse 6. He is greater than the angels. Chapter 1, verse 10. He is the pioneer of our salvation. Chapter 2, verse 10. He is the God who became flesh so that, we might die, so that he might die in our place and set us free from the fear of death. Chapter 2, verse 14. He is greater than Moses. Chapter 3, verse 5. He is our sympathetic high priest to whom we can go in our time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. He is the one who is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through him. Chapter 7, verse 25. He is the mediator of the new covenant in his blood. Chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. He is the perfect sacrifice who put away sin once and for all. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. He is the Savior who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Chapter 12, verse 2. He is the one who suffered outside the gate that he might sanctify his people by the power of an indestructible life. Chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. The book of Hebrews now ends with a benediction. It is one of the most beautiful benedictions in the entire Bible. Really what it is, is it's a blessing. It's a prayer that the author gives to this church he dearly loved. And it's also a blessing and a prayer for our church today. Let's read that benediction one more time in verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, I want you to notice with me as we begin this study this morning, I want you to notice the foundational truths from which this blessing comes. The foundational truths from which this blessing comes. Look at verse 20. Now may the God of peace. Now may the God of peace. You know, the idea is that God is the God who provides peace to those who put their trust in him. First, he provides peace with God. Peace with God. And really, that's the story of the, of, of the Bible. In the beginning, God created man and woman and placed them in the beautiful Garden of Eden. You know that story. It was perfect in every way. In fact, at the end of every day of creation, God said, it is good. And then on the sixth day when he created man in his own image, he said, it is very good. It was perfect in every way. Adam and Eve lived in, a perfect, in perfect peace and harmony with creation, with one another, and with God. The Bible says that the Lord God would come down in the garden and walk with Adam in the cool of the day. The ancients believed that to walk with someone was to live in fellowship with him. But Adam's sin changed everything. That one act of disobedience changed everything. No longer do we see Adam walking with God, but we see him doing what? Hiding from God in the garden. Man's relationship with God was broken, and the peace of God he enjoyed was destroyed. And man could do absolutely nothing to restore it. Yet God had a plan. God had a plan. God in his grace provided a way for man's relationship with God to be restored. He promised to send a rescuer who would come and rescue man from his sin. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. God sent forth his Son. God in his grace sent the Lord Jesus to die a sacrificial death for sinners. That is the gospel, my friend. That's the good news. That's the good news. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, man can have peace with God. Without Jesus, there's no peace with God. In fact, a war is raging in the hearts of all those without Jesus Christ. The Bible says they are at enmity with God, in open rebellion against God. But the moment a sinner, the moment a sinner turns to Jesus in faith, trusting him alone for salvation, his relationship with God is restored, and he begins to experience peace with God. All of his sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And he receives eternal life. Yes, God provides peace with God. But he also provides the peace of God. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, just before his, his betrayal and his crucifixion and his death. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace of God 
The peace of God is that calm assurance that all is well, that God is in control. You know, it's that inner calm assurance that God is on his throne, that he is in control, and that all is well. That no matter what happens, God's got it. You don't know if you've seen that, that sign that, that people put up in their yard, and it's been up mostly during, you know, this pandemic. I really like that sign. It says, God's got it. God's got it. And he does. It's been a, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year and a half. And it's still tough. And, and some of you are going through a tough time right now in many different ways. But, you know, God never promised there wouldn't be storms. But he did promise that he would go with us and he would give us his peace in the midst of the storm. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. You know, we often sing that great hymn, but few of us know the background to it. A great hymn, but there's a story behind it. I want to share that with you just for a minute. Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer in Chicago who heavily was invested in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a very wealthy man, a devoted husband and father, and a devout Christian. But in 1870, a series of events began to turn his life upside down. He and Anna's only son, Horatio Jr., died of scarlet fever at the tender age of four years old. The following year, all Spafford's investments were lost in the great Chicago fire. A few years later, Aware of all the toil that these events had taken on his family, his wife and his four daughters, he decided to take the family on a holiday to England where he would accompany his friend, Evangelist D.L. Moody, on his next crusade. Shortly before they were set sail, a last-minute business endeavor developed that threatened to derail the trip. But Stafford, he persuaded his wife to go ahead, saying that he would follow them in a short while. In November 1873, Anna and the girls boarded a French ship for the voyage. Four days into their transatlantic journey, Stafford received the devastating news that the ship had collided with another vessel. The ship sunk in 12 minutes, taking with her the lives of of 226 of her passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the Titanic that took place 40 years later. Several days later, Spafford received a brief six-word telegram from his wife, Saved alone, what shall I do? As soon as possible, he boarded a ship to join his grieving wife. En route to England, the captain called him to the bridge and said, I believe we are now passing the very spot where the ship went down. Spafford then 
went to his cabin and wrote down the words of the hymn, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whate'er my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My friend, that is the peace of God. That is the peace of God. That is the peace of God, that, that inner conviction that, that all is well, that God gives us in the midst of the storms of life. Let me ask you, do you have God's peace? Can you, stay, can you say with Horatio Spafford, it is well with my soul? Look at the second truth that we see in verse 20. Who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus. God is the God who raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. You know and I know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to our Christian faith. Without the resurrection, our faith is just a fantasy. That's all. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. Without the resurrection, this is all there is. But my friend, I have good news. Our faith is not a fantasy. There is hope. This is not all there is, because up from the grave, he arose. Jesus, in his resurrection, he conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he is alive forevermore. And because he lives, we are going to live one day with him forever in heaven. Look at that next foundational truth in verse 20. The great shepherd of the sheep. Great shepherd of the sheep. What a wonderful title for Jesus Christ. You know, the author of Hebrews, he could have, he could have chosen many titles, many names for Jesus uh, to, to describe him in, in this closing benediction. But he chose the title, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus Christ is our great shepherd, and we are his sheep. Now, if you know anything about sheep, you know that they're not the smartest creatures on the face of the earth. That, that's just a nice way of saying that they're dumb. <laughs> they're dumb. You know, once a man got really mad at me when I said that we're like dumb sheep. He didn't like it at all. And he, he said, are you calling me dumb? I said, no. God calls us sheep. And sheep happen to be really dumb. <laughs> no, I'm not calling you dumb. You know, we do dumb things, don't we? We make dumb choices. We make dumb decisions. We are sheep and we desperately need a shepherd to care for us. And, and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is that great shepherd. <laughs> Psalm 20. 3, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the Lord? It's the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is our great shepherd. And as our great shepherd, what does he do? He does what a shepherd does for his sheep. He cares for us. He cares for us at all times. He cares for us. 
As a shepherd in the past, Jesus died for us. He paid the price for our redemption. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Over 2,000 years ago, he gave his life. He, he sacrificed himself so that we might live with him forever and experience eternal life. In the presence of in the present, Jesus lives for us. And we, we saw that in the book of Hebrews. And in John chapter, in Hebrews chapter 7, it says he always lives to make intercession for us. He intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. And in the future, Jesus will come for us at the rapture. And he is going to complete our salvation He's going to bring us to glory. He's going to give us a new glorified resurrected body like his resurrected body. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, oh, my friend, he's coming. Jesus is coming. He's going to complete our salvation in him. Our great shepherd cares for us in the past, in the present, and in the future. Jesus Christ, as we saw a few weeks ago, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a blessing it is to be his sheep. But let's look at the, the next foundational truth in verse 20. By the blood of the eternal covenant. By the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus is our great shepherd because of the blood of the eternal covenant. Because he shed his precious blood for us on the cross. Well, see, his blood is what secures our salvation. It secures our salvation. It is an eternal covenant because our relationship with God cannot be severed at any time for any purpose and any reason. We read together Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake? We're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as what? Sheep for the slaughter. No, and all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see Paul's persuasion? Paul says, I am sure that nothing can separate us from the love of God we can say the very same thing as well. We can be sure of that as well. What a blessing. What a firm foundation we have as Christians. We have a God who is the God of peace. He gives us peace with God and the peace of God. We have a risen Savior. We have a great shepherd who cares for us. We have an eternal covenant that secures our salvation in his blood for time and eternity. Because of these foundational truths, we can have the confidence, first of all, that God will equip us to do his will. 
He's going to give us everything needed to do his will, to accomplish his will. That's what he says in verse 21. He will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. You know, the word equip is really a real special word that was used in that day. In the Greek language, it was used to set a broken bone. It was used to mend a broken net. You know, there's not one of us in here today that is not broken in some way. In some way, we're all broken people. In one way or another, we're all broken. But God is able to put us back together again. God is able to mend our broken lives and equip us with everything good to do his will. You know, most of us um, have been parents or are parents. You know, I just want you to think back just for a moment. Think back when you brought your newborn baby home from the hospital the very first time. You know, you just didn't put that newborn baby, that precious baby in the nursery and say, okay, kid, it's up to you from now on. You're on your own. Good luck. <laughs> no, you provided everything your baby needed to grow into a healthy child. You gave that child the milk that baby needed. You made sure the temperature in the room was perfect. You made sure that that baby was covered up at night. Some of your fathers, you even changed those dirty diapers. You did everything to ensure that that baby was going to grow up and to be a healthy, healthy child. Well, God does the same for us. God does the very same for us. I mean, he's our heavenly father, isn't he? And, you know, God didn't save us bring us into his family, and then throw us out into the world and say, fend for yourselves. No, as a loving father, he equips us with everything good to do his will. Everything good to do his will. Now, what are some of these resources that God has given to us so that we can do his will? Well, first thing I think of is the word of God. God equips us with his word. God has given us the 66 books in this Bible for us to read, to apply to our lives, and to follow its instruction. You know, to do what it says. He's given us his word. You know, I think of 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, this book is the inspired and errant breathed out word of God. It's God's word. Yes, it was written down by human authors, but God so superintended the writing of this book that it was just what God wanted. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, God's word equips us for Christian living. Equips us for Christian living. God word, God's Word teaches us what we need to know. It reproves us and rebukes us when we go astray. It corrects us, and it shows us how to live a righteous life so that we can do His will. God has given us His Word. 
to equip us so that we can do his will. And the question is, are you, are you reading it? Are you obeying it? Are you studying it? And then God equips us with prayer. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul writes, As we pray most earnestly, day and night. Notice that Paul was praying day and night. That we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Prayer equips us to do God's will. What, what prayer does, prayer plugs us into God's power supply so that we can serve him, so that we can do his will. E.M. Bounds, a great man of prayer who probably wrote more on prayer than any other Christian and knew more about prayer than anybody I know on this earth, he would often say this, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And how true that is. Could it be the reason that we see so little power of God at work in us is because we aren't praying as we should. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And also God equips us with the church. He has given us the church to equip us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. That's what we're doing. That's why we, we meet on Sunday morning. That's why we go to Sunday school and church. We meet together, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. No Christian is an island. God never intended us to live the Christian life alone. God put us in a family. God put us in a family, the family of God, the body of Christ. God put us in his church. Folks, we need community. That's what this is. It's God's community. We need community. That's why small groups are so vital. That's why you ought to get involved in a in a small group, or, or if you're not in one, you need to come up to me and say, Pastor, I need to be in a small group. We need one in our area. That's why small groups are very important, because it is community. We, we meet together, we study together, we pray together, and it's so important. We need one another to stir one another up. We need one another to keep one another accountable. We need one another to uh, encourage us as we see the day of Jesus Christ coming approaches. And my friend, as Jesus coming draws near, the days are going to get more difficult, and we need community. We need to be with God's people. You know, if I wasn't your pastor, and I could choose any church to attend, it would be Wassamsall Baptist. I would choose this one. Hands down. No question about it. This is a special place. And, and I hope you know it. And I hope you appreciate it. And, and if you're thinking about joining this church, I just want to tell you that there's not a sweeter place, there's not a sweeter communion, there's not a sweeter fellowship than Wasmasaw Baptist Church. Yes, God equips us. 
to do his will. But also, God enables us to please him. We see that in verse 21. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, he hit it on the head, didn't he? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can't do anything to please God. Apart from Jesus, the very best you can do is not pleasing to God apart from Jesus. But with Jesus working in your life and working in my life, we can do whatever is pleasing in God's sight. (laughs) So apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can do everything that he calls us to do. You know, the benediction ends with the word amen. You know, that means let it be so. Let it be so. You know, there's nothing more to say to this church except a goodbye greeting. And that's what the author of Hebrews does in these last verses. He, he gives a goodbye greetings. He says in verse 22 through 25, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall, in whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders. We, we saw who these leaders are, the, the pastors and in these different house churches in in that area, and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Grace be with all of you. Amen. He says, I beg you. I love what it says. He says, I "I beg you. Listen to my word of exhortation. You know, listen to what I've said. Listen to what I have written here. And then he says, Timothy, who's been in prison for, for his service for Christ, is now out of prison. He says, I hope that Timothy's going to come and, and we're going to come together to see you. Then he says, greet the leaders and the saints. Well, who are the saints? Believers. Did you know you were a saint? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Now, we might not always live very saintly, but God sees us as saints. He sees us as those who have been set apart by God to serve him. And then he says, finally, he, he says, the believers from Italy, they, they send you a greeting. And then finally, he commends them to the grace of God. He says, Grace be with all of you, the grace of God. You see, it was the grace of God that saved them. And it is the grace of God that keeps them. And it will be the grace of God who will see them safely home in God's home in heaven. You know, what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. What we cannot earn. 
what we cannot pay for, what we cannot merit, eternal life. And the good news of the gospel is we can receive God's grace freely by simply trusting Jesus Christ as one's personal Savior. You see, the grace of God is a gift that is freely given to those who admit their sin, their need for a Savior, and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone and in his finished work on the cross. My friend, if you haven't received this free gift of God, I encourage you to receive it today. I love what Paul says in the book of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this wonderful closing to this marvelous book. 